This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Slack. Slack is a collaboration hub for work that makes sure the right people in your team are always in the loop and key information is always at their fingertips. Learn more at slack.com. It's Monday, August 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. Thanks for hanging out with us. I'm Chris Hill. With me in studio, Taylor Muckerman and Jason Moser, the usual Monday crew. Here Happy we are. Monday. Here well. We've got my favorite soap opera on Wall Street, which is, of course, <laughs> Tesla. It's everybody's favorite soap opera. It's a long right running now. drama. It is a long <laughs> It is. We'll see how much longer this drama runs. Uh, we're going to dip into the full mailbag. We've got some executive news. We've got to start. It's not Merger Monday, it's Spinoff Monday. Spinoff Monday. VF Corp, which is the company that owns Lee and Wrangler, announced that it is spinning off the jeans brands into a separate company. So there's going to be an unnamed or yet to be named company that will have Lee and Wrangler jeans as well as the VF Corp outlet division. Hmm. And then VF Corp will be the remaining businesses, which include North Face, Timberland. Vans, Victoria's Secret, maybe. No, I think that's a uh, no. That's, that's limited. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's LB. Yeah, yeah. That uh, would be quite the combo there. North Face and Victoria's <laughs> Secret. They it could would be. be. Uh... So, and and I should hasten to point out, Jason, that uh, Steve Rendell, who is the CEO of VF Corp. He's sticking with VF Corp. <laughs> Wouldn't you? <laughs> He's not going with the jeans company. Is that? I mean, that seems like all the information I need as an investor about which of these two businesses has a brighter future. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I tend to agree. <laughs> I think management probably sees this as addition through subtraction. Um, if, if you look at like it, it's it's. Weird to talk about the jeans market. I just you always figure like jeans are part of a bigger whole, but but really they are an actual market unto themselves. And when you look at brands like Lee and Wrangler, and I I, I mean I I'm not trying to dog those brands. I just they kind of remind me of tough skins, right? I mean they're just they seem very dated, and I don't know that um, perhaps they're as as Big as they once were, I don't think they carry as much sway in that market as they once were. And to put some numbers around that, you look at Levi's, which I think is the brand that probably most people look at when they hear jeans. They think Levi's, and they brought in about five billion dollars in sales last year, and that's mostly all jeans and jeans-related items. If you look at the VF jeans segment, which is primarily Wrangler and Lee, they brought in about half that. So you're dumping really what is not going to ever be a market leader in in favoring the business toward what you have really in a number of market leaders in the North Face and Vans and Timberland. I mean, those are some very, I think, I think powerful brands that carry a lot of sway with a certain audience. And to that point, they're moving the headquarters of VF to, I believe it's Denver, Colorado. So, it'll be certainly more in touch with that market as well. Again, I mean, I think it's just getting rid of not dead weight, but close to dead weight. It's a company that I think the jeans segment is responsible for about 30% of operating profit today. It's not inconsequential, but I think it's going to give the newly leaner VF Corp a better opportunity really to shape the business around more of a core offering and audience. So, you're selling shares if you get them handed to you as a VF 
I, shareholder. I would. I mean, yeah. I would sell those shares and just go buy a few pairs of Levi's jeans, you know, <laughs> and because and those, those things will last you probably the rest of your days, right? <laughs> well, and and so denim the, dividend. The VF Corp executive who's been tapped to be the CEO of the new company is a guy named Scott Baxter. He's mm-hmm. he's been at VF Corp for a while. He was running that division for about five years or so. So. If you're looking for silver linings, they're going to have a. They will also have a leaner business. They will be more focused as well. But to me, I mean, we we saw this with Hewlett Packard when Hewlett Packard split, and my only question about that was Meg Whitman's the CEO. Which one is she going <laughs> yeah. with? Because that's the one I'm going to bet on. Well, and, and I mean, I think anytime we talk about clothing, right? When we talk about apparel, it's nice to put your money on a company that has a number of different. Brands under that umbrella, right? I mean, I think we talk a lot about Gap and how the benefit of that model is that they aren't just Gap. I mean, it's Banana Republic, it's Old Navy, and we've seen how Old Navy has really been able to to pick up some of the slack in the weakness of those other brands. And so, with this, the newly found or the leaner VF is still going to be in that model. It's not to say that the new jeans company can't do well. And to be sure, they have a very big audience in the European and Asian markets. Yeah, I think true. that's where these business. I think that's where where this business will have an opportunity to really shine. It's always important as investors to. Recognize that we—it's not just about this box here domestically in the United States. There's a big world out there, and and so those brands do carry sway out there. Two and a half billion dollars in annual sales is not uh, insignificant. I just think it's a tougher road ahead if you're just a jeans company versus something like a VF that has a number of different offerings for for a really big and and I think growing core audience here domestically. Let's move on to Tesla, and Elon Musk has clarified <laughs> the funding secured statement, or I should say, added more context to the funding secured statement of last week. And I this feel week. like if he had just said funding basically secured, we probably <laughs> wouldn't be having this conversation. I think you're absolutely right about that, <laughs> because that's kind of what came out in his blog post, which yeah. was, and I'll just read directly from it, recently after the Saudi fund bought almost 5% of Tesla's stock through the public markets, they reached out to ask for another meeting. That meeting took place on July 31st. I left that meeting with no question that a deal with the Saudi Sovereign Fund could be closed. And goes on to say, that's, that's what I was thinking when I posted Funding Secured. That's not, that's not the same thing. No questions that it could be closed. And he may, by the way, he may be a hundred percent right. Like, look, it's just a matter of some paperwork, just working out the terms. That's really, I'm, I'm. Assuming that in the eyes of the nice people at the SEC, mm-hmm. that's not the same thing. Yeah, no, it reminds me of uh, Anchorman. We're talking about the Jaguar <laughs> perfume. It works 90% of the time, yeah. it works every time. 60% yeah, of the time. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you look at this, and I think I've even read headlines where the Saudi Arabians came out and said, no, that's not going to be the case. So, even that is in doubt. But uh, jump the gun a little bit with that tweet, as he's one to do. So, are we in the same position that we were sort of at the end of last week because we had the board meeting coming mm-hmm. into this weekend? It seems like nothing has really necessarily changed for investors in terms of where we were at the end of last week. I think you have to be a little bit more worried, maybe as an investor, since funding isn't secured, maybe the board decides to kick him out. And then, you know, I think the stock sells off precipitously if that takes place. I mean, that's you a dramatic. Think the board would kick him out. I don't know. I mean, it's something that, uh, depending on the SEC decides to get involved, I mean, that's a pretty damning thing to do if uh, making that tweet without having anything to back it up. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it could go any number of different ways. I mean, it depends on how uh, closely the SEC wants to look at this in regard to his behavior. I, I, I tend to. I think that with given his explanation today in regard in regard to the Saudi fund, I, I think it's reasonable to say that if indeed they are interested in the company going private, it sounds like funding is basically secured, <laughs> and it does. I mean, it really kind of goes back to that. I mean, if he if he had just said <laughs> funding is basically secured, I mean that that implies a much different message yes. than his. Somewhat arrogant funding secure. The check right? is in the mail. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what we're getting on him about here. Uh, I, I, I stand by. I would much rather see Tesla a private company. I mean, I know there are probably a lot of Tesla out, uh, investors out there who are cursing me under their breath right now when I say that. But I just think that the world needs a company like this, and being in the scrutiny of the public market just holds it back. And I think we've seen plenty of examples out there uh, that that uh, point to that. So for me. I mean, I hope ultimately it does go private. It sounds like funding is basically secured. So now it's just going to be a lot of headlines back and forth until something ultimately is resolved. Uh, I mean, it's it's fun to follow, right? You wake up every morning, you know, like, hey, what did Musk tweet today? I don't know, but let's go find out. You must not be a shareholder. <laughs> I'm not a shareholder. Now, with that said, I am a shareholder on Twitter, and I got to go. say, I love it when this stuff happens because it's just irreplaceable, right? He's not out there saying it on Facebook, no. is he? No, he's not Snapchatting it. No, sir. It's the most valuable news network in the world, in my opinion. And thank you, Elon, for exploiting the value in it he Do has on an ongoing basis. Yeah. Do you think Musk ever picks up the phone and calls CEOs of formerly public companies that are now private? Do you think he ever like has recently called up Ron Shake over at Panera and how is it being private? Is it good on the it's other amazing. Side? <laughs> Elon, it's amazing. You should do it. Immediately, <laughs> I kind of feel like he's more of a leader than a follower. I just I don't know that he's soliciting a lot of advice out there. But I bet you, if he is, that circle is very, very tight. Quick shout out to Slack for supporting today's market foolery. Slack is a collaboration hub for work. Whatever work you do with Slack, the right people in your team are kept in the loop, and the information they need is always at their fingertips. Teamwork on Slack happens in channels, letting you organize conversations and information around projects, offices, and teams. And because everything you need is in one place, it's faster and easier to actually get things done. With Slack, your team is better connected. You can find out more at slack.com. We've been using Slack at The Motley Fool for years. It has dramatically cut down on the amount of internal email that we send. It just saves a lot of time and really helps with productivity. And the mobile app is great, too. They've got the mobile app for iOS and Android. Slack, where work happens. Find out why at slack.com. Let me go back to something you said, Jason, about about Twitter and the importance of Twitter. And I agree with you, because for me, for someone who looks at business news every day, Twitter is invaluable. And yet, uh, someone pointed out on Twitter this morning that Twitter is not necessarily representative of sort of the mass audience in America, and the example that this person used was the fact that David Wells was trending on Twitter. <laughs> David Wells is the chief financial officer of Netflix, and there's not necessarily a reason that it's like no, this Twitter skews more towards people who are interested in business and and that sort of thing. Um, but but we should talk about that because David Wells is the chief financial officer at Netflix. He has been the CFO for eight years. He's been with Netflix for 14 years. He announced that he is 
stepping down. He wants to pursue other things. This this seems very uh, straightforward. This does not seem coded in any way. Uh, he is staying on, and and as much as anything, I think this is evidence of how it's very straightforward. He's staying on until they find a successor. Mm-hmm. So there's no end date. I'm sure they're. I'm assuming they're not going to have a hard time finding a replacement because, given how Netflix has performed, um, it really seems like uh, they'll have a bunch of applicants for that. But that being said, it's always a little. I, I always feel maybe this is just me, but I always feel a slight negative for company X when the CFO is leaving. I'm surprised the stock isn't down more today. It's only down like you know a couple percentage points, but. Um... When you look at the basis points, excuse me. When you look at it, uh, coming off a little bit of a rocky quarter, missed missed their own internal guidance. Doesn't happen very often, but it does happen with a company growing this this uh, rapidly. Um, and it, they talk about growing from a position of strength, so that the successor seemingly has a great balance sheet, cash flow generation, not necessarily earning money, but. You know they're contributing cash to the bottom line and the balance sheet there. I just worry about this company, the arms race going on on this content production side. They're spending a billion a year. Amazon spending billions. Apple getting into the game. HBO, Disney, um, and I just don't think there's enough writers, producers, actors to go around to make engaging content. I mean, that's my biggest worry with this company is that race to the bottom uh, on this original content side. And that's not necessarily the CFO's job, but um, that's one of the the hiccups I see here, and certainly something that. The the content side is going to have to convince the new CFO that they're worthy of continuing to spend this crazy amount of money on original content. And to be clear, Jason, I don't think anything nefarious is going on. I don't think anything's wrong with Netflix's books. But my assumption that's built in anytime I see news about a company CFO is, you know, who knows the most about a company's <laughs> financials? The CFO. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, just to tie a bow on the Twitter trending topic of David Wells. Now, I mean, if David Wells wanted to get a picture out there of the lasagna he made last night, then perhaps he would put that out on Instagram, right? And that is probably a bit more for the masses. So you choose what direction you want to go in life, and that that kind of gets you on whatever platform where you're going to spend most of your time. I'll happily learn a little bit more on on Twitter and leave the Instagram to the uh, to the food porn and whatnot. But uh, <laughs> I, I think with with the CFO leaving a company anytime, typically not a big deal. I think with Netflix. I don't think it's a big deal, although it is worth a little deliberation given the way the company's finances work, given the criticism that we have and the amount of debt that they continue to take out. I think that their strategy is the right one. Cast a big net with a little bit of content for everybody out there. Uh, grow that user base as big as possible because the bigger you get that user base, the more difficult it is to make a meaningful ding in it. And it's, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 130 million global yeah. users today. I mean, that's a very big audience. Um, my big question for Netflix, and again, we're going to see heavier spending on content here in the back half mm-hmm. of the year and going yeah. on into next year. I, I just. I see it as a user, and I just—I rarely use it, and I'm finding that it's because I just don't. It doesn't have a lot of really good content, frankly. <laughs> I mean, I just—I mean, I'm able to find what I want to watch wherever I want to watch it, right? So, I mean, you have Amazon, HBO, Netflix, Hulu, all the stuff out Disney there together. coming down the pike. There's great content on all platforms, and so I think I don't think Netflix has to worry anything about that. I mean, I think that's that's the point, really, is that. It's it's an attractive price. You can you can subscribe to it. Basically, forget about it because you're not going to sit there and him and haw over twelve thirteen dollars a month. 
again, it kind of gets me back to my question, though, of pricing power. How high can they raise the price of that subscription until people start saying, oh, yeah, that's right, I have a subscription to this, and am I really getting out of it what I want out of it? Mm-hmm. And I think that's just my longer-term question. That's far down the road. I don't think they're going to have any trouble filling the CFO position. It's a good business with a super bright leader in Reed Hastings. It's just that's the one question I have, just in regard to pricing power. With regards to that, uh, my my answer is uh, at least in the near term, as long as the price starts with the number one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think if, you're right. If it's, I mean, because I don't even know what it is right it's now. I mean, it's like twelve, like, yeah, it's, something it's like, like that. They can get that to the teens easily, yep. and they can probably get it to eighteen once you know once it starts creeping up and possibly starting with a two. Then I think it might get a little dicey. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from Garrett in Syracuse, New York. Garrett writes My portfolio is a little China heavy at the moment. One of the largest positions I currently own is Alibaba. I also own smaller positions in Momo, JD.com, and TAL Education Group. In preparing for a potentially tumultuous a tumultuous end to 2018, or even a possible large-scale economic downturn in the market in 2019, would you recommend I hang tight, or maybe slowly scale back my investments with Chinese ADRs? Alibaba, for example, seems very optimistic and full of strong potential, but the stock has been quite volatile over the last year, and seems to be affected by Trump's tariff tweeting and a potential trade war. Any thoughts? Uh, great question. We can't give specific guidance uh, for a whole bunch of reasons. One of which is we're not. It's not clear what percentage of his portfolio is in these different companies. Um, I will just say, uh, with regards to the president's tweeting, what I said shortly after he was elected president, which is, all investors need to be prepared. <laughs> as long as he is president, any given day you wake up, he could be tweeting about. Your stock. Yeah. He could be tweeting about <laughs> the country that you own shares in a tariff war. That's just that's just how this is going to be. Precedent statement back then. It's <laughs> happened quite a few times since. It has. Um, I, I don't. Off the top of my head, I don't think I really have any great exposure to China. I don't know if you do, Taylor. Um, I have a small stake in Baidu and JD.com and uh, kudos. Ichi, I think is that however you pronounce I-Chi, that. Yeah, and uh, I got some some put ups, sold put options on that. But um, I think it's I think it's an interesting market to be a part of. It's been one of the worst performers uh, this year um, as as a whole. Not necessarily those companies that he mentioned, but um, when you look at this country. Such a big user base potential with you know the size of the population there, and jotted down some numbers from a study I saw that came out earlier this year saying that only 55% internet penetration inside the country, 51% have smartphones. When you compare both of those numbers to the U.S., 89% internet penetration here, 69% uh, mobile smartphone penetration here. So. Huge upside if they can even catch up to the penetration percentages here that you see in the U.S. Not to mention the fact that the sheer numbers are already far greater for internet penetration in terms of aggregate. So I think that you've got a long way to run here. It all depends, you know. Obviously, different government style. So that's a big, uh, big if there. But I think there's plenty of room to grow, uh, especially with some of the big names that that were mentioned in that email question. Uh, mostly online tech-based stocks, and if you can see. Chinese moving in the similar direction as the U.S. has over the last decade. Um, I, I see some big numbers there. Well, and of course, Jason, anytime 
we get a question about selling a stock, regardless of what that stock is, one question all investors should ask when they're thinking, well, should I maybe trim back this position is, what are you going to do with the money? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really one of the bigger questions there is you sell for a number of different reasons, either outright fraud or you feel like there's a place for your money. Um, yeah, if there's a better place. I, that's always a good reason. And I mean, it's just worth noting that, well, if you feel like there's a better place, that's great, but you better be right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I personally would never want to be China heavy in my portfolio. Yep. Um, I think a lot of that stems from. Me personally, the learnings I took from um, earlier in the decade, uh, Chinese small cap companies were, were all the rage for a while, and there were some neat stories. And we talked about all of these market opportunities, and big numbers were thrown around. And I think we saw a lot of uh, a lot of problems really stem from a lot of those companies. And and part of that just came from the level of transparency. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably my biggest hang-up with having. Overexposure to to uh, any any sector like like that, um, I think it makes sense to have some exposure to it. Sure, if you want, make sure you're investing in the leaders in the space. Yeah. Companies like Baidu, Alibaba, I think Aichi is a good one with uh, a lot of potential there. When it comes to geopolitical events, presidential tweeting, I mean, all of that stuff is very unpredictable. I mean, the only thing that you can predict is that it's going to happen at some point or another. It's pretty hard to predict when it's going to happen, and then further, how the market actually is going to react to it in the short run. So, I mean, I just I fall back to my general investing philosophy is that it, uh, it, you know, investing is as easy or as difficult as you want to make it. And I just I can't stand it when I hear people always say how hard it is. It's not hard at all. You can make it as hard as you want, but I got some easy strategies for you too. Okay, I mean China's fine. I would keep that position in check though. And one last piece of advice, and I've learned through the years. One thing I like to do from time to time is take a look at my portfolio and just imagine the next day each position just gets cut in half, right? For whatever reason. Would I still feel good about owning those businesses? And there are going to be some clear yeses. There are going to be some clear noes. Put those clear noes really under the microscope and make sure that you need to be owning those in the first place and understand why you own them. Good little thought experiment. Taylor Ruckerman, Jason Moser, thanks for being here, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>